We're going to study tonight a tshuva of the Sefer, Ginas Vradim, often called Ginas Vradim HaSafardi by the Ashkenazim, because there are several Sfarim by that name. We are studying tonight a, a tshuva of the Sfardic, uh, Ginas Vradim. I recently came across this tshuva in my notes. When I saw it, I said to myself, I cannot believe we have not covered this tshuva yet in reading responsa. So here we are. The Ginas Radim was written by Rabbi Avram Halevi, a great Sephardic posseik in Egypt, 17th century, in the 17th century, 18th century. Uh, he, was, uh, he wrote the Shale of Tshuva's Ginas Radim as, 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 as with many of the Sephardic Svarim, the Sefer is particularly strong, particularly robust in its treatment of Choshen Mishpat, Avon Ezer, civil law, family law. Many of the Sephardim seem to have focused more on, on those topics, the tshuva, the tshuva we're doing tonight is a tshuva, is a tshuva in Chelek Evan Ezer, a tshuva that deals with family law. So the question is as follows. Before we begin it, we're, we're, it's, about, it's about a woman who poisoned her husband. Before we begin the tshuva, we're just going to cite briefly a precedent, another early Sephardic ruling. This one is not exactly a tshuva. It's not clear if this was a, an actual case or a fact pattern, as the lawyers say. But uh, before we do the Rabbi Avram Halevi in the 17th century, we will do a brief ruling of Rabbi Yaakov Castro. Rabbi Yaakov Castro was another Sephardic uh, posseik in Egypt, a century or two earlier. He was in the 16th century. He has both tshuvos and glasses to the Shulchan Aruch. His tshuvos are Ohle Yaakov. His glasses to the Shulchan Aruch are called Erech Lechem. The, the following brief note is from his Erech Lechem to the Shulchan Aruch. Again, not clear if this was an actual story. It could have been a tshuva or not, but his case was a woman tried to poison her husband. A woman tried to feed her husband poison, and this has been established with reliable testimony that she actually went so far as to purchase the poison, and she planned to serve him the poison, that there was no other use she had. It wasn't rat poison. There was no other use she had for this substance. Apparently, she didn't actually go through with the poisoning, they caught her, or she, uh, apparently they stopped her in time, but it was clear that she had purchased this poison with uh, malice aforethought, with uh, homicidal intent. So, what is the halacha? So, again, we don't do criminal law today, so the question is not punishment, the question is, does she forfeit her ksuva? A woman, as we'll discuss in more detail soon, a woman who behaves badly during her marriage, forfeits the ksuva. The ksuva is a, an obligation a husband has to his wife. There are a number of obligations he has. One of them is to pay her a certain sum of money in the event of his death, his estate pays her in the event of his death, or if he divorces her. So she normally receives the ksuva payment if the marriage terminates in those circumstances, unless, unless she has done certain egregious things, in which case she forfeits her ksuva. So Rabbi Yaakov Castro's question was, a woman who tried to poison her husband, who planned to poison her husband, this has been established, does she forfeit her ksuva? His answer is, yes, she does. Chamira sakanta meisura. He quotes the Talmudic maxim that danger, danger is more serious, mortal danger is more serious than prohibitions. When the Gemara talks about what she would have to do to forfeit her ksuva, the, the Gemara's examples, as we'll discuss soon, are all examples of certain types of violations of halacha. Not all violations of halacha, but certain, certain classes of halachic violations, 
trigger a forfeiture of her ksuva. Says Rabbi Yaakov Castro, specifically, as we're going to see, the, the kinds of halachic violations that cause her to forfeit her ksuva are those which affect him. If she personally decides to, to go, uh, to, to go Mchal Shabbos, she goes to the movie, she drives her car, and she, that, that's fine. It's not fine, but that's, she doesn't forfeit her ksuva. doesn't affect him. That's between her and God. She does not forfeit her ksuva simply for doing averis, even if they are terrible averis. The only thing she forfeits her ksuva for are averis that affect him. So if, he, if they catch her feeding him non-kosher food, that's an avera that affects him. If they catch her lying about Taras Meshpacha issues and causing him to be over an avera with her, that is, uh, that's grounds for forfeiture of the ksuva. Says Rabbi Yaakov Castro, Chamira Sakanta Meisura. That's a principle in, in the Talmud, in Halacha, that when we deal with situations of danger, of, of mortal peril, we treat that even more stringently than simple Avera. This comes up in the context of you know, Suffolk, for example. So a Suffolk Isser, if you, have a que- if you have a question, something might be Usser and is doubtful, in certain cases we're lenient. But if it's Sakana, you don't play Russian roulette. If it's Suffolk Sakana, we have to be more stringent. So Rav Castro applies that in this case as well. If Chazal said that a woman's bad behavior that might cause the husband to do an Avera is grounds for forfeiting the ksuva, then certainly her bad behavior that might cause him, cost him his life is certainly grounds for forfeiture of the ksuva. Even though we say sometimes gadol hamachtiyo yosem ehargo, in a certain sense it's worse to cause someone to do an Avera, but Rav Castro says otherwise here, he says that if when she causes him to do an Avera, she forfeits her ksuva, certainly if she was planning to cause him to lose his life. Ein lo ksuva, in such a case she forfeits her ksuva, and she forfeits some of the other financial obligations he has to her, of lo etc., etc. And furthermore, Bastin breaks up this marriage. This is, to put it mildly, an unhealthy situation. So Bastin enforces a separation between them, because we don't want, him, we don't want her killing him. We don't want her to uh, proceed according to her plan. We don't want her to proceed with her, with her homicidal plan. And she forfeits her ksuva because of what she has done. And then he adds a tantalizing final, uh, final caveat. He says, she forfeits her ksuva, as long as he doesn't deserve to be poisoned. As long as it's not his fault that she is planning to poison him. That Robert, is... Robert. Yes? Oh, sorry, I just had a question from before. I'm uh, sorry to interrupt, but... Um... Does this apply to their children? Does what apply to their children? This ruling about having an effect on him. Like, sure, if she doesn't observe Shabbos, she may not lose her ketubah. But if she causes the children they have together to do something, is that, is that considered part of something that's bad to him? That's an interesting question. If, if, if she doesn't cause him to do any Avera, if she engages in full disclosure and he has the choice to keep Shabbos and keep kosher and everything but she's able to cause the children to do mitzvahs. They, 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 either she doesn't tell them, she do averis, she doesn't tell them what she's doing, or they, 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 they don't, they're not independent enough to do their own thing. So if, if she's causing the kids to do averis, would that be grounds to call her an averis aldas and to forfeit her ksuva? An interesting question. Um, an interesting question. I'm sorry? Yeah, so, so the Gemara actually talks about a case that, that, that's similar to that. The Gemara says that if she takes Nidarim and, and she breaks her Nidarim, that's grounds for divorce. That, that's grounds for Averis al-Das when she forfeits her Ksuba. 
The Gemara asks, why? why? Why is Nadarim different from any other Avera that's between her and God? So the Gemara says, Bavon Nadarim, Barim Kitana Mason. Chazal say a somewhat, uh, somewhat difficult principle, but Chazal say that a person's children can die if he breaks his nadar. How that's fair, how that's compatible with divine justice, I, I don't know. We're not going to get into that tonight. But the, the Gemara works with this assumption that if she takes a nadar and violates it, the children can die. So, so there, the Gemara says, and the post can all say, that's considered something relevant to him, relevant to the children, that that is grounds for forfeiting her ksuvah. So again, that's talking about spiritual... That's, well, it's not spiritual. That, that's through a spiritual act, she's causing the death of the children. Presumably, huadin, if she causes their... if she endangers them through other types of, uh, other types of acts as well. So, I, so in the case where she's causing harm to the children, I suspect, I, I'm pretty sure that would be grounds for forfeiting the ksuvah as well. So, returning just to Rav Castro's last line, as long as he doesn't deserve what, uh, what, what she was planning to do to him, very, a very tantalizing thing. Maybe he means something like the battered woman defense, a, a defense in the modern legal system that, that a person is uh, a woman who's being beaten and being uh, abused and so on, that... Uh, that even again, even if it's not you know, literal self-defense, it's not that as he was coming at her with, uh, with a poker, she, she shot him. It's even if she, she just feels trapped and battered, I think, and even if it's just she feels that she has no way out and eventually she, she's going to be hurt and killed. And so that's actually considered a, in, some, in some countries, in some jurisdictions, a valid defense, a form of self-defense, I think. So maybe that's what the Marie Castro has in mind, that... If the woman says, yes, I was going to poison him, but he was behaving uh, intolerably toward me, and I just there's nothing else I could have done, maybe that's what he means. But whatever it is, this is Rabbi Yaakov Castro's ruling. He says, in general, if a woman tries without uh, sufficient provocation to poison her husband, that's, that, that's grounds for forfeiture of ksuva, unless, unless he deserves it. Unless it's his fault, unless he deserves it, then she may not uh, forfeit her ksuva. So now we'll turn to the actual tshuva of the Ginas Vradim, Rabbi Avram Halevi. You can't make this stuff up. The tshuva, the case was as follows. Ruvain fell ill for a long time. And the doctors tried treating him. They gave him all kinds of uh, injections and therapies and so on. Whatever they did to him, and nothing worked. Nothing was uh, all kinds of uh, whatever they did, the doctors in the 17th century... Nothing worked. They couldn't, uh, they, they, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. They couldn't cure his disease. They were very mystified by this. They couldn't understand what was wrong with him. Eventually, the truth came out. The truth came out through a laundress, through a woman, a Gentile woman who was a laundress in the home. And she, she let the cat out of the bag. What was wrong? The woman was giving him sorceress potions. She was grinding up a certain stone, and she was putting the stone into the, some kind of liquid, and she was feeding him this potion. What was, the, well, what was the point of this potion? It wasn't meant to be poison. What was the point of this potion, and why was she, uh, why was she, why was she doing this? It was a love filter. She was under the impression that by feeding this potion to her husband, it would cause him to love her, and it would strengthen their marital bond. She wanted to be motze chen v'chesed be'enav. So she was feeding the... That's what she was doing. She was preparing this, this magical love filter to secure her husband's affection. So she was caught. She admitted it. When they showed the stone, the stone that she was shaving into the potion, when they showed the stone to experts in these matters, experts in love filters and potions, they said, 
that this is a uh, this is terribly this is terrible poisonous stuff. You're not feeding some some kind of uh, wholesome wholesome potion. This is toxic, terrible poison, and you were killing your husband. You were feeding her this. You were feeding him this terrible potion, and that's what was causing him. That's what was causing him. Fortunately, Hashem helped, and 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 this came out before he actually died. And naturally, unsurprisingly, this caused great uh, controversy in the home. Shalom bias in this home was now greatly damaged. It was a great machlokas, and they decided to get divorced. And now the question was whether she should forfeit her ksuva. The husband says, you almost killed me by feeding me your toxic poison. And she says, I'm sorry, all I meant to do was to give you something to make you love me more. I wanted wanted to have your affection. I meant well. It was a terrible mistake. I'm sorry, my suppliers, he says, my suppliers gave me, uh, they tricked me. I, I had asked for a proper love potion, and they gave me, and they gave me this nasty, toxic stuff. I'm really, really sorry. It, it, was, it was all a misunderstanding. I was misled by, uh, by my supply chain, and therefore I didn't mean to do anything wrong, and therefore she doesn't want to lose her ksuva. Apparently there wasn't any talk of saving the marriage at this point, but the question was, should she forfeit her ksuva or not? Is this grounds, is this considered a veris aldas? Is this grounds for forfeiture of the ksuva? All right, that was the question. So, Rabbi Avram Halevi, the author of the Ginas Vradim, as is the way of the Svardim, their chuvas go very methodically. They lay the foundation. They begin with the, the sugya before they apply it to before they apply it to the contemporary situation. So he begins with the sugya in ksuvos. The sugya in ksuvos is the Talmudic discussion of Averis Aldas, a woman who forfeits her ksuva for sinful conduct. The, 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 the Mishnah and the Gemara's examples are all, all have to do with sin, as we mentioned briefly earlier. The Mishnah says there are two categories of women who forfeit their ksuva. Overes al-das Moshe, one who violates the precepts of Moses, and Yehudas, one who violates Jewish precepts, Jewish customs. What is das Moshe and what is das Yehudas? So the Mishnah gives examples. The Gemara explains that das Moshe is someone who violates a din daraisa, a halacha in the Torah. Das Yehudas is someone who violates minhagim, things that Jewish women do, Proper things, dinim drabanan, not actually a black letter law in the sense of dinim daraisa, but other types of customs and norms that Jewish women are expected to conduct themselves according to. What are examples of das Moshe and das Yehudis? So the Mishnah gives several examples of each. The Mishnah says, Ezui das Moshe, machilasu she'ena she feeds him food that is master has not been taken off. Today, you want to give an example of not kosher, you say you feed him nevela. Meat that wasn't shechted, you feed him pork, and meat from a non-kosher animal. In the Mishnah, in Eretz Yisrael, in a, a classic example of uh, not-kosher food is food that master was not taken off from. I remember when I was learning in Eretz Yisrael, under of David Salvechik, he should be well. So, he should have a refuah So, he was once uh, lecturing to us about Yerushalayim and uh, how to conduct yourself in Eretz Yisrael. He says, you know, in the U.S., he says, in Chutzlart, Everything is basically kosher as long as the meat comes from a kosher animal and it's shechted and there are no bugs in, in the lettuce and so on. Things are basically kosher, he says. In Eretz Yisrael, everything could be treif. Every, every vegetable, every fruit, he said, if it doesn't have maser taken off properly, it, it, it's treif. It's absolutely us, he says. Everything could be treif here. You have to be super careful out here in Eretz Yisrael. So the Mishnah's example, what's an example of non-kosher food? An example would be food that does not have maser taken off from it. 
or Nida, if she deceives him about Taras and Mishpacha, and, uh, and she lies to him and causes him to do an Isser, or she doesn't take off Chala, she doesn't take Chala from the dough, or if she takes Nidarim and does not fulfill them, those are four examples of someone who violates Das Moshe. What is Das Yehudis? The Mishnah's examples mostly have to do with Tznius. She goes out with her hair uncovered. Several other examples of, uh, of, of egregiously immodest conduct. So for those, for those various examples, uh, those are called Averis al Das Yehudis. That's not Daraisa. The, the, the Gemara is going to explain why it is or is not Daraisa, exactly what, what the Yisurim involved are. But it, it's not Daraisa, but it's Das Yehudis. It's the norms that Jewish women live according to, and that's also grounds for forfeiture of the Ksuba. The Gemara gets into a little more detail of how these things work. The Gemara says, the, the Gemara gives examples. She fed him tray food, or she caused him to violate uh, the laws of Taras Mishpacha. How did it happen? So the, so the Gemara explains that she told him I, I, that the food was, uh, that the, the master was taken, it was arranged by a certain person, a certain Kohen handled it for me, a certain person took off the challah, and so on, and, uh, and it turned out, you asked that person, and that person says she lied, she never came to me, I never did it for her, she was making it up. Nida, similarly, that she told him, she told him her status, the halach is, we trust her, a woman is trusted when it comes to Nida, but uh, a, woman, a woman is trusted, but, uh, but the, the, the case would be, where we caught her lying, is where she said that she took a she'ela to a certain chacham, and the chacham said, she says, the chacham said it was okay, we asked the Chacham, the Chacham says she's lying. So there's a lot of discussion in the Rishonim, why do we believe the Chacham over her? If we're forfeiting her ksuva, the Chacham is only one witness. The Kohen is only one witness. If she, if she brazens it out and says, he's lying, I did show it to him, he did fix it for me, so why do we believe him and not her? That's a question. But any, in any event, this is the basic idea. We catch her lying, as the Rishonim explained, we catch her lying about the question of Isser, which affects him. He was given food that's not kosher. He was, uh, she caused him to violate the laws of Taras and Mishpacha. So in these cases, these are Das Moshe, these are black, this is black letter law, Dinam Daraisa, she caused him to do it. Nadarim, we mentioned earlier, Bavon Nadarim Bana Mesim. And uh, so if she, if she causes these problems, that's Overis al Das Moshe, Overis al Das Yehudis, the Gemara is the, the, the most famous example of the Mishnah, is going out with her head uncovered. The Gemara says, Rosha Perua Daraisa, it's actually Daraisa, the Gemara brings a Drasha. So the Gemara says that, well, there are different kinds of head coverings, uh, not covering your head at all, that's Daraisa, certain kinds of uh, halfway coverings, Adrabanan, or Adas Yehudis, and so on. This is the idea that a woman who violates certain types of Yisurim and, uh, in ways that affect him, Tzniyus is something that's considered to affect the husband, he has an interest in that, and therefore, these are reasons that she would, these are grounds for forfeiture of the Ksuba. So says the Ginas Radim, this is the sugya that we have, if she does various isurim that affect him, that he has an interest in, she forfeits her ksuba. He summarizes briefly what they are, and then he says, again, her isurim that don't affect him, she's, uh, she doesn't forfeit the ksuba, that's between her and God, nothing to do with him. So Klala, however he says, however he says, there is a rule, there is a rule that the, the Rishonim bring, based on the Yushalmi, the Rishonim establish a rule she only forfeits her ksuva. She only forfeits her ksuva if she is, if she has been warned. If she's been warned that don't do this. If you do this, you're going to forfeit the ksuva. Then she, then she forfeits the ksuva. If she, if she does it without warning, 
she does not forfeit the Ksuvi. He spends a lot of time going through the different comments of the, the, the different positions of the Rishonim on Hasra, but his conclusion is, Klala de Milsi says, the, the bottom line, the halacha is, Ein Isha Mafsedes Ksuvasa, a woman does not forfeit her Ksuva unless she has Hasra Mufureshes, unless she has explicit and unequivocal warning, do not do this, do not continue to do this, if you do, you will forfeit her Ksuva, even of Eris Aldas Moshe, even if what she's doing is wrong on a Daraisa level, she still does not forfeit her ksuva unless she has been warned. However, says the, and this woman was not warned. This woman who was caught feeding uh, poison to her husband was never warned. They eventually caught her, and at that point uh, the whole thing uh, fell apart. But she never, she never persisted in, in doing this thing even after a warning. So that's his initial position. He says maybe we can argue that the, maybe we can argue that, the, that she hasn't been warned. So she shouldn't forfeit the ksuva. He says, there is one case, I will tell you, he says, there is one case where a woman does forfeit the ksuva, even, even if she was not warned. So he says, and that is the case of, the, of Rabbi Yaakov Castro we discussed earlier, what he calls a masa mechur harbe, an, uh, an, outrageous, uh, an outrageous thing, which she, which she poisoned her husband, she intended to poison her husband. He says, in such a case, she doesn't need any warnings. A woman doesn't need to be warned that poisoning her husband is, uh, is unacceptable and is grounds for forfeiting the ksuva, chamira sakan to meisura. What the Marikash said, she does, she does, if she planned to do such, a, uh, such, an, such, a, such an enormous thing, in such a case, she will forfeit her ksuva even without being warned. So now, returning to our case, he says, aldas. I have explained to you carefully, systematically, the rules of averis aldas and women who forfeit their ksuva. He says, in our case, In general, he says, if we want to approach her as a woman who, who, who sins, a woman who acts in a hostile fashion to her husband, none of these things apply, he says. She didn't have hasra. She, she doesn't meet the conditions of Averis al-Das, primarily because of hasra. She wasn't warned. However, he says, I already told you, the Marikash said, that if she planned to poison her husband, and she would forfeit her ksuva, even though she was uh, not warned. In, in, the, in, the case of the, in the case of Rabbi Yaakov Castro, he says, Ain Luxuva, she wasn't warned. They caught, her, they caught her with poison. They caught her red-handed with the poison, uh, with no excuse, no, no, uh, no, no explanation for why she has poison, were it not that she planned on using the woman's weapon against her husband. And Amari Kash said, she forfeits Luxuva, despite the fact that she was never warned. So you see, the, the Guinness Vradim says, you see that in certain extreme and outrageous cases, where, where she literally was endangering his life, was, was a threat to his life, then she forfeits her ksuva, even though she was not warned. However, in our case, says the Ginas Varadim, in our case of this woman who was feeding her husband love potions, we can be malamit on her. We can defend her. We can, uh, we can justify what she did. Why? Intention. She didn't intend to hurt him. On the contrary, she intended to secure his affections. He says, that's like... Just like a person, he thought he was eating kosher meat, it turned out the meat was treif. So, not his fault. He acted in good faith. She was told this is a uh, wonderful love potion. It wasn't, it was poison. Not her fault. She doesn't know. He says, If the sorcerers, the people who trade in, the, in, these, in these potions, they, they defrauded her, they tricked her. They, they, they gave her something horrible instead of something wholesome. Mabia de Lasso, it's not her fault. They didn't have the, the FDA then. 
they didn't have the FDA to, to give any kind of uh, seal and imprimatur that this stuff is safe. Not her fault. She acted in good faith. However, he says, certainly it's true. If after this had come to light, after they discovered that her husband's ailments were being caused by the potion she was feeding him, if she continued to feed him the stuff, and if we, if we find witnesses that, that testify that, or if she concedes that, then certainly she forfeits her ksuva. If she knew the stuff was killing him and she kept on feeding it to him, then yes, then of course, even without Hasra, she, uh, she forfeits the ksuva. Once she knew the stuff was toxic and she kept on giving it to him, if that's the case, if, if, if we establish that to be the case, then yes, then she would forfeit her ksuva. Because, he says, we know that sorcery is very powerful. Gemara says, sorcery, you understand, is, is, is deadly. Sorcery is a, is a practice that you're supposed to know, you're, you're smart enough to know is, is terrible. Once you realize that, uh, once you realize this is not wholesome stuff, you should realize potentially how bad it is. Magam bismanim halalu, he says, in our times, masik shafim lo yoiluv, lo yatzlichu l'shum tov, arak l'asusra, today sorcery only, uh, only harms, does not help. That's a moral of a lot of stories, I think, that uh, black magic doesn't usually, uh, dabbling in the dark arts doesn't usually end up well. But the, she should have known that. So once, again, if she didn't know it was poison, despite the fact that she knew it was magic of some sort, we don't blame her for that. However, once she, apparently once she knew it was dangerous, she should have realized that how dangerous it could be. And at that point, once she realized that this was causing his problems, at that point she has no further justification for giving him this stuff. Right, so, so, so it is true that, that he was sick for a long time, but apparently she, she simply didn't make the connection. She's, apparently she simply didn't think, she may not have real. you know, the question is, did she realize this problem started right around the time she began giving him the potion? Maybe she thought to herself, uh, post hoc ergo propter hoc, uh, causation is not, a correlation is not causation, and so on. Yeah, but that, that is an important question. That, that, that it, do we expect her to have the seichel, to say, uh, this is mighty fishy, right around the time I started giving him these powerful potions that I bought from the shady sorcerers, right around then he started to, uh, he started to uh, decline and suffer. Do we, it, would that be enough to say that, that, she has to, that she's supposed to figure this out? That's a good question. If, if she doesn't have concrete uh, knowledge, if she doesn't, have, uh, if she doesn't know for sure, but, but do we expect her to have the seichel to realize that this stuff is, is killing him, that's a good question. He, he doesn't, as far as I can see, he doesn't squarely address that. He just, he just distinguishes between the two extremes, where she has, she has no idea, as far as she knows, this stuff is great, and then the case where she does know, you're asking about the case in between, where she, there might be some circumstantial re- evidence that, a, uh, that a, uh, an astute person should realize this is a problem, but she doesn't realize, that's a good question. I, I don't see him discussing that directly. Then he writes, the last paragraph of the tshuva, he writes, Everything we've said until now is the Ikra Din, that as long as she can plead that she acted in good faith and we can't prove otherwise, she would win. Because Mikra Din, she can say, I didn't mean to do anything wrong, I was a shogi, a shogi doesn't forfeit the ksuva, and she wins, and she gets away with it. However, he says, 
that, first of all, this is, I guess, really speaks to Jason's point. He says, there are reasons to believe that she, uh, that, that she knew exactly what was happening. There are reasons to believe that she's not really telling us the truth, that, 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 that this is simply, uh, this is simply her, her defense, but we have reason to believe that, that she's not being candid about this. He says, The whole idea that, that she was tricked by her sorcerers, by her suppliers, is very implausible that they would defraud her and they would give her poison. Why would they do that? It's bad for business. Uh, the, why would any... Uh, the, uh, if they, even if they're frauds, they should give her sugar water or something, I guess. They should give her... You know, why on earth would they want to give her poison? And that, what, what, it, it ju- it just, it's just not good business practices for the... For if you're in the business of selling potions and then your clients' uh, spouses, who they love so much, that they want to secure the, their affection, start dying, you're not going to do well in business. So this whole claim that they were feeding, that they were selling her poisons... Of course, we do know in the history of patent medicines in the United States and anywhere else, they, they, they did sell all kinds of uh, snake oil and bogus medicines that were actually quite toxic and harmful, despite my argument that it's bad for business. Either they, didn't, they themselves didn't realize, or they didn't care, or I don't know what this was, but uh, all right, he says, anyway, it's, he fails in, in, his, in his evaluation, Rabbi Avram Halevi, he feels that it is very unlikely that they were actually feeding her, that they were actually selling her toxic stuff and, and cheating her. In all likelihood, she knew exactly what she was doing. She was deliberately feeding him poison. He says, even though he says we can't prove it, and normally the, one of the cardinal rules of Chosh and Mishpat is that we require proof. We don't normally issue rulings based on guesswork. And a, a woman who's supposed to collect her ksuva, the, the rule is, even, if, even though she's not the muksuk, even though, even though she's the one who wants to present, she's presenting the ksuva for payment from him, there is a rule that, that we treat ksuva in, in, in certain contexts as an ironclad obligation, and the burden of proof is on him to demonstrate why she should forfeit her ksuva. So if we can't prove that she acted with malice or forethought, then miikra din, she wouldn't forfeit the ksuva. The burden of proof is on him to prove that, uh, that she did act that would, that, would, that, that would trigger forfeiture of the ksuva. However, he says, as a matter of pshara, as a matter of, as a matter of public policy, he says... We have to do something. We, we, we can't let her get away with this. Uh, between me and the lamppost, he says, we're pretty sure she's guilty. So he says, we have to teach her a lesson, and we have to, uh, the, the, the circumstantial evidence, while not concrete, while not certain, is sufficient to warrant that she be taught a lesson. And she almost killed her husband, and we think she did it uh, deliberately or recklessly at best. Therefore, he says, Nachon Adavar, Bastin should... In, based in should work out some kind of pshara, not to, for, not to trigger the loss of her entire ksuva, but to penalize her with the loss of some portion of her ksuva. This will teach women in general not to do such things, not to try to poison their husbands, he says. And this shouldn't be a, an ongoing problem. Apparently he felt this wasn't just a freakish thing. Apparently he thought there was a real danger that women would get the idea that uh, if they don't like their husbands, they can poison them. It can be a puka and a michshel, he says, and then to come into Bastin and say, my hands are clean, I didn't know, I bought, uh, I, I bought potions from a supplier and they gave me toxic stuff, it's not my fault. If we let her get away with this, this will give, uh, like in the Megillah, this will be, uh, this will be uh, teach everyone a lesson, as Achashverosh said, that women shouldn't, shouldn't get any ideas into their heads. Even though he says, Mikra din, again, the burden of proof, we can't even ask her for a shvua if we don't have a, uh, if we don't have a, firm taina against her, if no, one, if no one says for sure she did anything wrong, he says. But here we do have some circumstantial evidence. Her, her claim is implausible, he says. And he can ask her to take an oath that she didn't do anything wrong. 
And, and the tov, once again, he concludes that tov hayasher, the right thing to do is, the correct thing to do is, in this case, he says, is to not make her actually take a shvua, but to impose some kind of compromise. And hopefully, he says, the, by sanctioning her to some extent, this will, this will forestall other Jewish women from behaving this way, and that is his opinion. So again, to, to, to summarize, Nikra Din, he says, a woman who tries to poison her husband, it, that is considered egregious conduct. She forfeits her ksuva, even without hasra, even without warning, even though a woman normally has to be warned that if she continues in her problematic conduct, she forfeits her ksuva. Attempted murder is different. Attempted murder is sufficient grounds for forfeiting her ksuva, even without any warning whatsoever. Point number one. Point number two, that's only if we can prove that she acted with malice aforethought. If we can't prove it, if she can claim that she acted in good faith, if she can claim that she was misled, that, uh, that it was someone else's fault for supplying her toxic poisons, but she never intended to do that, if we can't prove it, she won't forfeit the ksuva. We have to prove it. The burden of proof is on the husband. If he can't prove that she was, that she was doing this deliberately, she does not forfeit her ksuva. That's the second point. Point number three, he says, is that even though that's true, that the burden of proof is on him, if we have persuasive, even if not 100% compelling, if we have persuasive, somewhat convincing, circumstantial evidence that she was acting in bad faith and she's lying to us, we should impose, medin pshara, as a matter of public policy, we should impose some kind of sanction on her. We may not require her to forfeit her entire ksuva, but we should penalize her in some way as a lesson so that future women will not think of doing this. In general, if a woman is desperate enough that she's planning on poisoning her husband, things must be really bad in the marriage. I would suspect, I would suspect that the loss of a portion of Riksuva might not be much of a deterrent. All right, but that's what he felt. He felt that uh, penalizing her with the loss of a portion of Riksuva will actually act as a deterrent and will, will forestall, will potentially forestall at least some women from trying to uh, do something similar. That was the tshuva of Rabbi Avram Halevi. Now, as I said, I had seen this a while ago, a decade or two ago, and I found this quite a fascinating tshuva. As I was preparing tonight for the share, I thought to myself, okay, we have the internet, the internet knows a lot of things. Has this tshuva ever come up? Has this tshuva ever been discussed in a, as a precedent for any... Uh, has this ever come up again? Has this tshuva ever been, a, uh, ever been invoked in a practical context? Sure enough, it has. 20th century, we have a case in Israel. Regional based in Haifa. this was an appellate court, I think, and there was a nasty Shalom bias battle, a nasty divorce, and the, the husband had numerous claims of terrible conduct by his wife, by his ex-wife. One of them is, a couple of them are, that she was engaged in sorcery and paganism and the occult and not just, not just in prohibited ways, but in dangerous ways as well. One of the points in his, in his claims was Hatovas, the defendant, the woman, is Asuka betachtovot kshafim in some types of rituals that have sorcery involved, uh, apparently writings, uh, I'm not sure, uh, some kind of arcane writing that involves sorcery. Furthermore, the defendant, the woman, she is mishtameshet, she utilizes chomrim hanogim lavodas elilim, idolatrous substances, and she puts them into the food, and by doing that, she endangers the lives of the, 
of the, I'm sorry, the, 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 the Tavas is the, is, is the plaintiff, the woman who's asking for the Ksuva, and by doing this, she's endangering the defendant, the Nitva, the husband, and the Banos, and their daughters, so she's both doing Averus, and she's causing danger. I'm not exactly sure how the, the Avodah Salilim, how the idolatry causes danger, unless it means spiritual danger, or means somehow they were poisonous as well. Anyway, a very, very similar case to the Ginas Radim, the the husband alleged that his wife, the plaintiff, was asking for her ksuva. There were various reasons. He had, he had certain claims of moral uh, turpitude against her as well, but Sneas issues and other things, but, the, but for our purposes, these are were, these were two of his claims, that she's engaging, she's dabbling in the occult and the pagan practices and causing harm to the family. So the basin considers these, the basin considers these claims. They say, oh, we have this, we have precedent for this, we have the Ginez Radim, we have a long tshuva, and they quote the entire tshuva well uh, in, in, in all its length, even the parts I left out. They, so they quote the entire tshuva, and they say, we learn from the Ginez Radim, we see from the Ginez Radim that if a, uh, if a woman engages in sorcerous occult practices, and the husband becomes sick, and his life is in danger, they claim the Ginez Radim says it's machlokis, whether she needs hasra. I thought it was pretty clear that uh, it was pretty clear that that if she did, if we know she did it and she did it deliberately, she would not need Nasra as per Yaakov Castro's ruling. But they say this is an exact precedent. Again, as Radim tells us this basic rule: if a woman dabbles in the occult deliberately, intentionally, knowing that it's going to kill her husband and endanger his life, then she forfeits her ksuva even without Hasra. However, he says in Mikra Dinan, in our case, he says. It was not established that, uh, that, 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 that these are actual dangerous things. It was not established that the plaintiff, the woman, actually intended this, he says. She wasn't warned. She was not warned about this, he says. Then she would not forfeit her ksuva. Even the Guinness Radim agrees. In his case, he felt that there were strong, strong circumstantial evidence that she was uh, acting with, with malice. In our case, he says, these are just unfounded claims of the husband. It has not been established that she was doing anything knowingly that was dangerous. It was not established that he claims that she was doing terrible things that were dangerous, but he has not sufficiently established that, he says. Again, he says, there is, there is, there, the basin says there is basis for Apshara, as per the Ginas Vradim. There might be basis for Apshara if there was even some evidence against her. I, I, I didn't follow all the ins and outs of the case, so what, what level of this is, again, an appellate case relying on attached documents of the, with the earlier... Ba- earlier, uh, what, what, what had been established earlier, but there might be basis for a pshara, they say, that if there was some reason to believe that she was acting in, uh, with malice, uh, there might be basis for a pshara, he says. However, the husband himself, his, his, his various claims were contradictory, which uh, does not lend credence to his claim, and therefore we're not even inclined to do pshara, and therefore the Basin ruled, Ein Ela Halchatit, there is no halachic grounds, Lahaftzadasatavas Biksuva, in terms of these claims, at least, these claims that she was engaged in dangerous, uh, dangerous sorcerous practices where the evidence is not clear, his claims themselves were contradictory from one to the next of what she actually did. There is no grounds for, for, for uh, subtracting anything from Ruxuva. So, so, this, so this claim is dismissed, the Basin ruled, that we are, not going to, uh, we are not going to deny her, deprive her of anything of Ruxuva, because he has failed to establish, he has failed to even make a compelling case for the idea that she was engaged in, uh, in occult practices.